I think that's very dangerous, no matter who's in the governor's office. To say that the governor has full control if this bill is passed is not accurate. A bill removing Senate confirmation for some of the governor's appointees' advances. Confirmation for those exempt is still possible if 26 senators want it, but for the 18 Democrats in the Senate... To say 26 is fair to oppose a confirmation, now, come on. From Iowa Public Radio News, this is the weekly legislative podcast, Under the Golden Dome. A bill that would overturn an Iowa Supreme Court ruling about police searching garbage without a warrant passes in the Senate. As it comes to a House committee, the bill's potential to become a law that stays on the books is in question. I would say you certainly could overturn this ruling by running a constitutional amendment, but don't believe you can do it with a bill. It may well be struck down. That doesn't mean we don't go forward with what we believe is the appropriate course of action. There's a proposal that would require the state to send everyone a letter calculating how much or less their property taxes would be under local government budget proposals. When the average citizen sees the budget, they don't actually know what it means for them. And a bipartisan bill that would change Iowa to daylight saving time has one problem, but a Democrat has a solution. Unless we have our amendment this bill is illegal. And his Republican colleague is all on board. I never thought you and I would come together on a bill before you retired, but man, we're, the, we're there, buddy. We're there. I'm John Pimple. This is Under the Golden Dome for the week ending March 11th, 2022. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The governor appoints hundreds of people to serve in state positions, like board members, directors, or commissioners. committee will be taking up interim governor appointments as listed in the agenda. When someone is appointed, they begin to serve. During the next legislative session, appointees require confirmation by a two-thirds majority in the Senate to continue. First, appointees go through a Senate committee. Senators, as a reminder, you have the right to move an appointee from the in block to the individual calendar. Most of the appointees are confirmed in large groups with a single vote. This process is named after the French phrase in block, but some are removed from the in block and considered individually. Senator Dickey, uh, you're in order for opening remarks on the appointment of Eric Helland. Eric Helland is now the chair of the Public Employment Relations Board. It's often referred to as PERB, and it administers collective bargaining laws for state union employees. Several years ago, the legislature passed a bill that greatly reduced what most unions can negotiate. It was one of the most contentious debates in recent legislative history. In my interviews with uh, Mr. Helland, um, learned quite a bit about him. When there is an individual to be considered, they are interviewed by committee members. Republican Senator Adrian Dickey reports on his conversation with Eric Helland and urges the committee to support his confirmation. Since October 2020, Eric and fellow board member James Tufo overhauled the PERB HR policies and streamlined an internal process to enhance the outreach to stakeholders, specifically within the labor community. What's unusual is Senator Dickey is talking about 2020 when Helen was serving from a different appointment. 
During the 2021 session, it was clear Helland would not receive a two-thirds majority vote, and the governor withdrew him from that appointment. Then, after the session was over, the governor appointed Helland to the Public Employment Relations Board again. Normally this isn't allowed, but there are vacancies on this board. I also visited with um, Eric Helland and others um, to find out about the functioning of the board and some of the things that maybe we just heard in his resume. And um, again, concerned about the functioning of PERB and what their mission is. Democratic Senator Todd Taylor also interviewed Helland and cites concerns with this Republican appointee as well as the vacancies on the board. We still have some problems over there. And um, I think that kind of what happened in the recent years leads me to the same conclusion that I had before, which therefore I could not support this appointment. This Senate Labor Committee votes to advance Helland to be considered by the full Senate, but Democrats oppose. Another board member to PERB, Jane Dufault, is also advanced by the committee but is not supported by the Democrats. When the minority party opposes an appointee at the committee level, it's a strong indication they may not receive a two-thirds majority in the full Senate. Now, there is a bill in the Senate proposing changes to the confirmation process for appointees to some boards and commissions. This bill establishes a new new code section allowing a state senator with at least 26 signatures from fellow senators to request an appointment not subject to Senate confirmation to be reconsidered by the Senate. Republican Senator Robbie Smith is the floor manager for this bill. It removes the requirement for Senate confirmation for appointees serving on 29 of the nearly 100 state boards or commissions. One of the boards not affected by this proposal is the previously mentioned Public Employment Relations Board. I rise in opposition to the bill, not as a Democrat, but as an Iowan who believes in good government. Democratic Senator Janet Peterson says this will remove checks and balances on the governor's office. One of the reasons that we're different from the Iowa House is that we have the power of the appointment process. And you've got to get two-thirds of senators to agree that you should be on that board or commission. This is saying that we don't do that process anymore for all of these boards and commissions. And I think that's very dangerous, no matter who's in the governor's office. The boards proposed to be exempt from mandatory confirmation include the Commission on Aging, Justice Advisory Board, and the Iowa Public Information Board. Part of that board's duty is to facilitate complaints about open meetings and public records. Last year, the governor's office was sued over accusations of delaying public records requests. Democratic Senator Claire Selsey refers to this as she objects. Governor Reynolds, the least transparent governor of all time here in Iowa, is now just got carte blanche uh, to appoint people to the Public Information Board. I don't see that going well. In the Senate, there are 32 Republicans and 18 Democrats. For the board and commissions exempt, this would require a person to be confirmed only if 26 senators want it. Democratic Senator Tony Pizzigliano says this will give one party too much power. To say 26 is fair is asking me, with 18, to go to your side and pick up eight Republicans that are going to join me to oppose a confirmation that your governor made. Now, come on. To say that the governor has full control if this bill is passed is not accurate.
Senator Robbie Smith says this bill allows any appointment made by the governor or an appointing authority to be brought up for confirmation if 26 senators want it. This streamlines the process here in the Senate, and I can say that it adds even more oversight to the process because there's boards that are not subject to the Senate confirmation process that under this bill, we now have oversight over them. So you could say this actually adds more oversight to the process, not less. The bill passes the Senate 35 to 15 with two Democrats, Senators Bolcom and Kornbach, joining Republicans. In the House, there is a far less contentious bill floor managed by Republican Representative Mike Sexton. House File 2331 is a bill that puts the state of Iowa on a list with 19 other states um, that would allow us to go to permanent daylight savings time. Daylight saving time was first implemented in 1918 for a few months. It came back in the 1940s for a few years and was called wartime. And during the oil embargo of the 1970s was brought back for almost a year to see if it would save energy. Since the 1980s, it has been in place for six months out of the year. I agree with everything that Representative Sexman said. Democratic Representative Bruce Hunter supports the idea, but says the bill needs an amendment. Unless we have our amendment on that bill, this bill is illegal because the federal government currently says that we can't go to daylight savings time. We can go to standard time if we want, but we can't go to daylight savings time. This bill says we shall. My amendment says we shall as soon as the federal government allows us to. Representative Hunter, wow, we got this in just in time because I never thought you and I would come together on a bill before you retired. But man, we're, the, we're there, buddy. We're there. I would encourage the body to accept Representative Hunter's amendment. Representative Sexton is referring to Representative Hunter's announcement that after serving 10 terms in the House, he is not seeking re-election this year. I think Representative Sexton did that just to mess up my final comments on this bill. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of the House, uh, with the passage of this amendment, uh, this uh, bill goes a, a long ways to be a good bill. Uh, I would recommend my caucus to vote basically however they want to on this one now. Uh, the things you have to do to get a bill off the House floor. Good Lord. Anyway, thank you, Representative Hunter. And I'm just going to close with this. Republicans support this by 67 percent, and Democrats support this by 67 percent. So, ladies and gentlemen, it's a, par it's a nonpartisan issue, and uh, let's get this off the floor and over to the Senate and see what they do with this bill. The bill passes with bipartisan support 82 to 13, voting against our five Democrats and eight Republicans, including Speaker Pat Grassley. This is the weekly legislative podcast, Under the Golden Dome. I'm John Pimble. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. When budgets are proposed, 
people don't understand what that means and they don't understand what it means for them. Republican Representative Dustin Haidt is part of a three-member subcommittee panel for a Ways and Means bill. It requires letters to be sent to property owners about their property taxes and proposed local budgets. After those budgets are proposed, but prior to them being adopted, that each individual property owner will get something that says, last year you paid $300 in in, uh, city taxes, and this year you're going to pay $350 in city taxes, and here's the public hearing if you have an issue with that. The letters would come from the Iowa Department of Management using information provided by the municipality, city, or county. Lucas Beacon from the Iowa State Association of Counties says this information could clear up why a person's property taxes are changing due to assessment or a city budget or a new levy. I think it is kind of helpful. Usually the assessors that we represent are the ones that the mailing goes out and runs upset with the assessor. Uh, so I think this does provide a benefit so people understand that it's not the assessor, it's those local jurisdictions that are setting money rates. Ted Nelson from the Iowa Department of Management says it could cost an additional $6 million a year to send out these letters. Nelson says in some areas, multiple letters would be required due to some counties, cities, and schools having different times of the year for when budgets begin. Taxpayers would get statements or get these new mailings kind of piecemeal, and they might not make sense. You know, eight of them in front of you, none of them connected to the other one really. It just shows the individual government's costs or increase in costs. So you might want to think about adjusting it so it all comes at once out of the tax savings all on one form. The bill's working from the starting block that says a citizen isn't getting any information. Subcommittee panelist Democratic Representative Dave Jacoby says local governments already have to make proposed tax changes and budgets public. Jacoby, a former city council member, says it's rare for many to attend public hearings for these kinds of things. The intent I like informing citizens on what their tax liability is and also where their tax dollars are going. I don't I don't see an if DOM sends out a letter. And, and DOM might not be the appropriate thing. I'm not going to argue with that one. You might be spot on with that. Representative Height says there could be another way to inform taxpayers other than a letter from the DOM or Department of Management. Height says he wants to continue modifying this bill that would send a letter calculating what a taxpayer would have to pay from a local government's proposed tax or budget. When the average citizen sees the budget, they don't actually know what it means for them. And that's the intent of this, so that they will know what it means for their own pocketbook. This bill advances from the subcommittee with two Republicans signing on. Representative Jacoby does not. Last summer, the Iowa Supreme Court ruled that law enforcement cannot search someone's garbage without a search warrant. The Senate unanimously passed a bill in February that would allow police to search a person's garbage without a warrant. Now this bill is in a House Judiciary Committee with Republican Representative Stephen Holt. This legislation is in response to a recent court decision that sort of changed the status quo, which was previously that there was no expectation of privacy related to garbage that was uh, treated as abandoned property. I'm a no on on this bill. Democratic Representative Mary Wolf is an attorney and says it's not likely a bill from the legislature can overturn an Iowa Supreme Court ruling. I would say you certainly could overturn this ruling by running a constitutional amendment, finding that Iowa citizens have no 
constitutionally protected right of privacy in their trash. But I don't believe you can do it with a bill. Representative Wolf says six other state Supreme Courts have come to the same decision. She quotes Iowa Supreme Court Justice Christopher McDonald, who wrote the majority opinion for this case. Neither the legislature nor municipality could pass laws declaring your house or papers to be your property, except to the extent the police wish to search them without cause. Article 1, Section 8 precludes a peace officer from engaging in general criminal investigation that constitutes a trespass against a citizen's house papers or effects. No department of the government can circumvent this constitutional minimum. Representative Wolf says Justice McDonald and the justices that sided with him were all appointed to the court by Governor Reynolds. While you can disagree with this opinion, I I really hope we don't hear that it's ridiculous or that it makes no sense or that it um, is not based in reality because these people know what they're doing and they were doing their job. And I would just suggest that we should do our job and vote no on this bill. Up until recent times, I don't think has ever been an expectation of privacy on abandoned property. And that is how garbage has always been looked upon as abandoned property when you set it out there on the curve to be picked up. Representative Stephen Holt says he respects these Supreme Court justices, but says this ruling can tie the hands of law enforcement. I believe this is an essential tool for law enforcement, and it may well go challenged, and it may well be struck down. There's a lot of things we do here, a lot of pieces of legislation we pass that are subjected almost immediately to a court challenge. That doesn't mean we we don't go forward with what we believe is the appropriate course of action for the citizens of Iowa. So with that, I move Senate File 2296. The House Judiciary Committee advances this bill with 12 yeas and 7 nays. It can now come to the full House of Representatives for debate. Bills about budgets are going to start emerging. One factor in helping determine what the next fiscal year will look like is the revenue forecast from the Revenue Estimating Conference. Their March report determines what the legislators can consider spending. The report issued on Thursday morning says while revenue this fiscal year is growing, state revenue growth is expected to begin decreasing over the next two years. For now, early Republican budget proposals are to spend much less than what will be available. I'm John Pemble. This is the weekly legislative podcast, Under the Golden Dome. The script editor for this episode is Iowa Public Radio News Program Director, Katherine Perkins. Additional stories about this year's legislative session are coming from Iowa Public Radio Statehouse reporter, Katerina Sestarik, also from IPR reporter, Grant Gerlach, and Natalie Krebs. Digital team support for this podcast comes from Caitlin Troutman and Matt Searin. If you haven't subscribed to this show, do that now, wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Under the Golden Dome is a production of Iowa Public Radio.